0: Welcome back to Coffee and Anti-Racism. I'm Rebecca Hemmings, your host, and also the CEO of Strawberry Words Training Consultancy, where we talk about race, culture, and identity. And just to apologize, because I I had a week off. (laughs) Uh, So we're we're 14 episodes in now, and I took a week off. So if you're wondering uh, what happened to the episode last time, that's what happened. You know, work just, um, yeah was a bit too much and i thought you know what after 13 episodes i can take a break but the way these platforms work you can't always let people know so I now now i'm letting you know that's what happened so what's today about um i have been hearing so much or i've had the question so many times around how do you deal with or you know resistance to conversations about um, racism or even resistance to to the work of anti-racism and why does why does this resistance show up so this episode is about what that resistance is what's behind the resistance I'm going to give you some some new phrases some new words um, for you to hold on to some new concepts concepts for you to talk about uh, with your friends or for you to think about talk about with your colleagues just so you can understand what's behind some of those challenges that the rebuttals you know Um, so I'm gonna get straight into it right so when resistance does come up we must ask a few questions in order to regain balance um, or to you know get to a place where we create a situation of fairness right firstly whose feelings are being prioritized and um, whose feelings are being minimized because usually it's the people whose voices we're not often hearing whose voices are minimized the people who are in the receiving end of racism the ethnic minorities are the voices we often don't hear or their voices are minimized or quietened and then what's behind the resistance why is there this feeling of defense why is there a, a a need a desire to diminish or demean someone's message to defend oneself comes up what's going on in someone's mind when that happens so that's what this this podcast episode is about right so um you know one of the most common questions we get right um in sessions is but what about but what about but what about and that's what this this all these these um defense mechanisms uh, they're they're kind of associated with that question this desire to kind of like just move away from the topic of race and talk about something else okay so when somebody asks asks, but what about it is a defense mechanism okay and it reflects a psychological process known as counter-arguing or for want of a, a more simple term denial okay as i said we see it all the time okay it is a natural human process because again we all like to think that we're good people nobody wants to see themselves as bad and so you know when somebody says anything that might indicate especially to others that we might be a bad person we're like no 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 we want to defend that okay so it is a human response and with everything i'm talking about it applies not only to 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 race uh, it can apply to other marginalized groups but also in areas where people feel threatened okay so i want to keep that in mind that yes we're talking about race today but this will always also apply to other areas of your life and and i'm not sitting here saying all this stuff saying that well i'm perfect and i have all the answers i don't do this no because even i i'm human and i know i've done some of these things and that's often what the conversation is about it's just being honest and saying okay this is what it is oh okay well what do we do about it Okay, so counter arguing, or another term which is similar, sea lining, a sea lining. Oh, it's tiring. This is the constant questioning of someone who's talking about racism uh, to disprove their argument in a way that appears genuine, uh, but it's often desi- designed to fatigue the speaker and deflect from the topic. Okay, so counter-arguing or sea lion sea lining, which I would say is probably the um yeah, the most fatiguing of the two. So it's a cognitive strategy. These are cognitive strategies that individuals employ to protect their existing beliefs, maintain a positive image, you know, I'm I'm right, I'm good, and and avoid Cognitive dissonance, I'm coming to that in a second. Okay, so in fact, let's go there now. So, cognitive dissonance, what's that? So, this is the idea that you know it's the discomfort that comes up when there's a mismatch between your beliefs and conflicting information or evidence. So, on the one side, you know, I believe this, but then you get some information that might disprove your beliefs or kind of make you look like, well, um, you're biased. Or you're um, being discriminatory, and that doesn't sit well with you. So, when confronted with discussions about racism, individuals who hold biases or discriminatory views, you might experience this cognitive dis- dissonance. You know, so asking, "What about?" allows people to rationalize their beliefs and maintain consistency by seeking uh, alternative explanations or exceptions, okay? So you're constantly asking, but what about? And, but what about this? And what about that? You know, so examples of these questions might be, you know, but, but what about disabled people? Well, but, but what about women? Uh, but, but what about, and so on? You know, and, and these questions are very valid in the right context. But if the purpose of this question being asked is to shut down the conversation about race and racism, it has no place in the conversation. That's it. It has no place. Okay? Another example is a very common one, the statement, all lives matter. Okay, so people say all, some people say all lives matter um, when the phrase black lives matter is mentioned. Okay, so black lives matter, not to confuse this with the political group, that was a a phrase that was coined in order to counteract um, an idea that there's a lot of people in society that do not care about black people. So it's just to say that, well, actually, black lives do matter okay however what some people have taken this phrase to mean is that well black lives are more important than 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 white lives and they might think that intentionally or unintentionally it might be innocent or it might might be deceptive um but again what it serves to do is to shut down the conversation about Black people it's shut down the conversation about racism for whatever reason. It could be, you know, oh gosh, this is really uncomfortable. I don't want to talk about race. Or, oh, actually, I see their point, but I can't deal with it. So just, you know, all those matter. Conf- confirmation bias. Moving on. Okay, this is the tendency to seek, interpret, and remember information that confirms existing beliefs and, exa- and attitudes. OK, so basically, I just want to find arguments that fit in with what I'm thinking already. OK, so again, when racism pops up, people might seek out information that supports their preconceived notions or biases. It just makes life easier. Right. So they'll be very selective and they'll focus on examples and instances that seem to contradict or challenge the notion of systemic racism, further reinforcing their existing beliefs. So. Um, Examples of this are, um, oh, well, that person or that, you know, Indian person over there has done well for themselves, you know, or that Bangladeshi person's done well for themselves, you know. So what's what's their problem? Referring to all the others or um, they're participating in the oppression Olympics or, um, you know, they've just been victims so if one believes these statements they can feel justified in their position because obviously the problems with those people over there are not with anything that i'm saying um and therefore if if the problems with those people over there those bad people i don't have to do anything about it and um yeah because it's their problem okay so um this is also associated with the belief that, you know, uh, this, this idea that, um, you know, it's, it's their problem is, is that, you know, of meritocracy. You know if all you got to do is is work harder and then you'll be better off in life look I did it not looking at all the privileges that you've, you've had so what it does is it ignores the systemic issues faced by ethnic minorities and if you know um, if you're ever curious you've literally just got to put a few words in Google to find out what some of the systemic issues are so if you Google the the rate of um, of um, mental health decline in black communities in the UK you'll get your response. If you Google um, the rate of deaths within black, um, the black black maternal deaths in the UK, you'll get your response. You know, if you you Google um, uh, in the criminal justice system, how many young ethnic minorities are in the system, which is phenomenal. The last time I looked, it was 53% of young people in the criminal justice system um, are from an ethnic minority background. And it's not because uh, they're more predisposed to committing crim- uh, crime criminal act- or predisposed to criminal activity. It's because they're treated differently. But that's a whole, whole different conversation. So, you know, the evidence is very much there, but often people will want to use these arguments just to say, well, there isn't a problem. There's nothing to see here. And therefore, they don't have to do anything about it then there's defense attribution how we doing for time cool right defense attribution so this is where a person protects their own beliefs again and a lot of these are very similar you know they've got different names but they're all serving to do the same thing which is to kind of protect yourself deflect any issues from them and make them look like good people right so sorry to interrupt you i just wanted to quickly tell you about crafting compassionate cultures strawberry words flagship online learning hub designed for organizations to become equitable diverse and and inclusive through our online cpd accredited courses quizzes bite-sized videos resources and so much more avoid discrimination litigation create safe workplaces attract and retain ethnic minorities Look, email us at admin at strawberrywords.co.uk Now back to the episode Defence attribution, if you want to know the term it's, it's where a person protects their own beliefs to avoid self-reflection and personal responsibility OK, um, so in the context again of racism, individuals may employ defensive attribution to distance themselves from the issue by attributing it to uh, isolated incidents. So um, for as an example, if somebody has been exposed to, uh, say uh, an ethnic minority said, oh, you know, that was a microaggression, that was a racial microaggression. They might say, well, no, 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 I'm not, you know, I'm not normally, normally like this. I'm having a hard time at home and I can't believe that you're accusing me of this and, You know, I've been nasty to everyone today and it's just just not that. Or, um, you know, or, or they might even say, you know, why are you being so aggressive? You know, you're the one person who's the problem. It's not me, it's you. Okay, again, quite similar to confirmation bias. Okay, and that, you know, that last one is particularly surreptitious. It's a really surreptitious way of avoiding the blame and passing it on to the ethnic minority, which again is very common. It's also a form of of gaslighting. Okay, so it allows the person in question to maintain this positive image because it's not them and therefore they do not have to confront their own um, potential biases or complicity in the situation okay uh in group bias we talk about this all the time right it's part of the social identity theory which basically states we all have different roles within society and and, and one of those roles is that you know well is a participation in in groups and out groups so um your in group they're all the people who are similar to you right so um they might be the same race uh, or similar they might be around the same sort of age have similar interests they kind of get you you get them uh, and so on. And so they're the people in your in-group. We tend to trust people in our in-groups more than we do people in the out-group. So the people, all the people who are not in your in-group, they are in the out-group and the further out in the out-group they are, uh, or the more different they are to you, sorry, the further out in the out-group that they are. OK, so uh, again, when discussions about racism arise, uh, some people may instinctively, instinctively prioritise loyalty and solidarity with their in group. Um, so, you know, I, I see this all the time, uh, regularly, you know, with t- times where I've maybe complained uh, or mentioned the fact that, well, wow, I, you know, in a restaurant, though, the waiter was really, really rude to us. I'm saying this to the manager. Oh, no, 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 he wouldn't do that. No, um, oh no, no, I think you got it right. Oh, or, um, you know, yeah, w- yeah we'll do some, something about it, but then you never hear that something's been done again. Okay, so there's, there is this natural bias, this natural protection, if you like. It's like, you know, almost like a, a um, the, you know, that solidarity is automatically given, or you know, you're automatically a part of that group um, just by nature of being similar and because you're deemed as different you are deemed as the problem okay and then there's the, the, there's the but what about question so this can serve as a defense me- mechanism to protect the in-group's reputation or to minimize the acknowledgement of systemic issues once again. Preserving that uh, sense of group cohesion and identity. And you know, if if you're the majority, that's easier. That's easy for you to do. Because if you're the majority, generally you tend to have um, more power, you have voice, you have influence, uh, and therefore what your group says goes. And it's easier to um, demonize the, the other. So again, in the case of George Floyd, so if you don't know, this was the black man who was murdered by a police officer in twenty twenty, sparking worldwide Black Lives Matter protests, and um, and you know, so when when that happened, some questions were asked, like you know, oh, but what about his history as a, a petty thief, as almost as as if to say, well. That's the reason why he was killed. That justifies it all. Um, So questions like these, these, these are used to prove how different individuals are okay um, so again to distance themselves to say that you know we're the good people and people like him are the bad people because in what we have in society is what's known as this deficit-laden ideology and that's it's basically saying that if you're not a part of the majority which in most um, Western countries um, that is uh, white people if you're if you're not the white majority should I say if you're not a part of that group, then there's a deficit. There's something not quite a hundred percent uh human about you, and that's what's been done here. So uh when somebody is classed as uh not being a part of the majority, they're normally deemed as different. Uh unfortunately, different is often um mean that often means bad. And so that when a person is deemed bad, this often justifies inhumane treatment. Okay, and people in the out group are often judged a lot more harshly than those in the in group. And I'm sure you can think of many examples, such as, for instance, uh, migrants coming over. Those, um, you know, are deemed as those people who are coming over and stealing jobs, and you know, draining services, and you know, causing trouble and all that sort of stuff. Stuff. And what tends to be forgotten is is a very human side of them that are, you know, seeking refuge and you know, fleeing persecution, rape, and torture, and all those those things. Um, but often they're just seen as those bad people and therefore there is a lot less sympathy often when you know we find out you know I won't go into but you know where I'm going with this okay nearly there Um, threat to self-concept accepting the existence of racism and engaging in conversations about it again might challenge one's self-concept and personal identity you might be questioned to think um, differently about yourself okay so for individuals who perceive themselves as unbiased or fair-minded acknowledging racism can be uncomfortable and as I've mentioned many times can trigger a range of defensive responses so asking but what about allows them to downplay or deflect um, deflect the issue therefore again maintaining that really nice image of themselves avoid this discomfort Uh, Avoid any discomfort associated with any, you know, self-reflection or any change. Like I don't want to change. I don't want to have to self-reflect. Therefore, I'm going to ask. But what about? But what about? But what about? Okay. So this is one of the um, reasons that many people find it difficult to accept the fact that we all have unconscious bias. Now, hear this. I I say it all the time, right? But I'm just going to say it again. Ninety-five percent of brain activity for all human beings, according to research, is unconscious, all right? 95% of what goes on in our brain that leads us to say what we say, leads us to behave in the way that we behave, for all human beings, including myself, is unconscious. So it stands to reason, given the fact that we're influenced by people around us, whether it's the media, social media, friends, parents, you know, what we see around us, different positions in society, that we're going to have opinions, different opinions and judgments, aka biases, about different groups of people. Is it comfortable? Often, when, you know, what your unconscious bias might be it is different to the values you hold dear. Yeah, it is but it's human we all do it and you know this is one of the biggest frustrations is getting people to understand this there's a reason we do what we do the things that we do we act the way that we act we hang out with the people that we hang out with and so on okay but a lot a lot of people do not want to accept that they have unconscious bias and i say to people Over and over again, you know, uh, you know, it's a fact, it's research, but if you really want to have it tested, go and do the Implicit Association test by Harvard University. It's free of charge online okay there is a reason we do the things we do there's a reason we're not all hanging around and some people do don't get me wrong but there's a reason we're not all hanging around the people who look different to us in many different ways not just in terms of race in terms of ability who might have a different um economic background, and so on it's because we tend to like people who are like us that is a bias and a lot of the, a lot of the times we're not going around saying consciously I want to have friends who look like me who act like me we're not saying that but subconsciously we're just naturally attracted to people who are like us that is a bias you know one of the biggest groups of people we have problems you know admitting this to themselves are teachers and i understand it because you know again our unconscious biases often go in opposition to the very values that we hold dear and one of the values that many teachers have if not all is that i treat um, not all not all most um, that I treat everybody as an equal and valid member of society okay so then so then to be confronted with the fact that actually you have unconscious bias which means that you probably don't is uh, it's shocking you're rocking somebody's foundation but it's the problem with not acknowledging the fact that we have these um, implicit biases another um, phrase for an unconscious bias or subconscious uh, bias is that you could be subjecting somebody, probably are subjecting an ethnic minority to uh, racial microaggressions, racism regularly and not be aware of it. And even if you're just around children who are white, you're also reinforcing the message that actually, you know, you know um, my view is the right view. So it's really important. I, I just, I'm just, i uh, just, of course, I'm an advocate for everybody to have got to get an anti-racism education. But it's really particularly important for teachers to understand this is critical. Um, but I've done another episode about school, so I won't keep harping on about it but you get the points so I'm, I'm bringing this to a close now so it's important to know as I said at the beginning that these psychological processes they're not exclusive to discussions around racism but it can they you know they can come up in a whole variety of contexts where individuals feel threatened or challenged okay so even as an ethnic minority you might face you know you might do some of these things and be really defensive and ask but what about but what about but what about but today as we always do on coffee and anti-racism, we're talking about race, okay? So addressing these defense mechanism is critical, okay? And what it requires is being open, being vulnerable, being open to having a dialogue, to having a conversation about it, Um, having the facts presented just as I have to you today, so having that accurate information, promoting empathy for yourself, for others, you know, we couldn't have these conversations if we deemed all the people that were, you know, doing some of these things to ethnic minorities, the bad people. You know, we're all human and that's how we approach this. We're going to challenge you, but we're all human. And this is a, psychologically, a psychological safe space. Creating those safe spaces for those discussions to take place, for that information to be shared. Really important, okay? So this then creates an inclusive environment where everybody feels as though they can reflect, they can grow, they can challenge, they can be heard. Okay, you know, you know. I'll just finish with this. The, the reason Strawberry Words is called Strawberry Words is, and I'm sorry if you've heard this before, but I'm just going to say it again, is because the average strawberry um has over 200 seeds on it and so we like to believe that with every uh podcast episode talk workshop training session whatever it might be whenever you come in to contact with us we're planting those seeds of growth of inclusivity of reflection of of um learning and so on okay and, and then, you know, words is obviously how we communicate. So that's why we call strawberry words. So I really hope that has been useful to you to understand the thinking behind why people get defensive and why they ask, but what about, but what about, but what about? So now, um, if you're an ally, if you're wanting to be an ally, these, you know, you can explain some of these contact t- con uh, concepts, or you can even point them to this episode and say, look, listen to this, uh, you know, I'm tired, but listen to this. I think you need to listen to this, okay? So please share. Uh, like it share comment tell me what you think Um, as always of this coffee and anti-racism episode and i will see you in the next